everybody, I'm Katie. And I'm Rhiannon. And welcome to Haunting Cases. We just got done recording the first parts of this episode because we're recording them in like synchronicity. So back to back, back to backs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys have to had to wait for the the cliffhanger, but I get to hear it ASAP. So I guess that's the one bonus of being a podcast co-host. I don't have to wait. <laughs> you don't have to wait, but it's a lot to take in in one full day. Ooh, yeah, it is. We were just talking. We're going to have to go watch some happy, lighthearted shows after this. <laughs> I feel that. I'm going to need to like put in Pooh Bear and just sit on the couch for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Whew. Oh, yeah. All right. I don't know what else we can banter about. Like, we already kind of bantered for today. I mean, I <laughs> can talk about the move. can talk about how my computer, like, had a complete shit out the other night. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that oh was exciting. God. <laughs> uh, I love my oh. computer, but she's, she's nearing her end, unfortunately. I'm like, I tap her, and I always say, like, she'll make it as long as, like, I need her to, and right now she's she's proven me wrong. Um, <laughs> but she disagrees. She highly disagrees. <laughs> I'm like, I always make the joke. I'm like, she sounds like Darth Vader over here. Like now she sounds like me after I've gone jogging and I'm having an asthma <laughs> attack. I'm just like, <laughs> just can't breathe. I'm like, you good? You running a marathon? Are you okay? <laughs> god yeah my laptop isn't doesn't have the marathon breath going on but it definitely is is getting up in its years whenever i turn it on it's like i don't know how long but it definitely takes a while for things to load in and for it to open anything and once mm -hmm. it's up and going it's pretty good but it's just a bit of a slow starter it's got to get moving and shaking in the morning before it's ready to go oh yeah but yeah, yep. like, we could also talk about how Salem's a complete trash panda and keeps trying to steal, like, <laughs> rappers from me. That was pretty funny, right, before <laughs> we started recording the first episode for today, hearing about uh, her going after all the rappers and plastic pieces and wherever she could get her mouth on. <laughs> Digging them out of the trash, I'm like, oh yep. my god. She's asleep now, I think. She wants you to think she's asleep. <laughs> no, she's awake with like one ear directed at me. Like, what the fuck you talking to shit about me, mom? <laughs> what do you say about me? What do you say about oh, me? I'm gonna pee in your shoe later. <laughs> exactly. Kai did that once. We were so mad at him when he was a puppy. Oh my gosh. My, yeah. <laughs> my poor mom, when I first had Salem, like the second time I had like been over to their house, she let her go into the closet. I already kind of had the feeling, I'm like, that's going to be a bad idea. <laughs> and literally I came in one night and Salem was like back in the corner and I got the whiff of just urine. I'm like, oh Ooh. no. 
So then I like go digging through the clothes and I just see my mom's poor boots are just demolished with cat pee. Oh, I'm like, no. no. I'm like, Salem, oh, Salem. And she's looking at me like, what you gonna do about it? You love me. I'm fluffy and cute. I'm like, ah. there's not <laughs> enough in the world right now, cat. I'm like, oh my God, you're kidding me, right? Oh, I'm so mad. Ugh. Little fur babies, they definitely give us a run for our money. Mm. Yeah. Watson just got me these like wireless earbuds. They're not the name brand, so I mean they're pretty cheap. But Kai, as you know, has a history of eating electronics because he ate, I think, two pairs of headphones, headsets when he was a baby, and he's gone after multiple remotes and all sorts of things. Sorry, <laughs> I'm grabbing Salem's tortured headset. <laughs> Oh my my workout headset! <laughs> she she bit right through it! She wants you staying home with her. <laughs> but yeah, I have these wireless earbuds and, and Kai likes to like jump in my lap and just suddenly attack my face and just start licking my ear, licking my face. And you know, he's a crazy high energy dog. But today he did that and my earbud popped out and I was like, oh my god, he's gonna eat it! <laughs> so it's like trying to grab it as it falls through the air towards his open mouth and I'm just like, no, don't eat the earbud. <laughs> and luckily I saved it before it was too late. But now I know, when wearing my wireless earbuds and Kai's around, <laughs> gotta be careful because one wrong move and he could be eating my earbuds very easily. Oh yeah. She likes oh to try to get up on the desk and she always makes her way over to where my camera's at. Ooh. And because it's a wired cam, she always tries to, like, go for the wire, and I'll watch her open her <laughs> mouth. I'm like, what you doing? Are you supposed to be on the desk? You're not supposed to be up on the desk. And she'll, like, close her mouth and, like, hunker back down for a little bit. I'm like, I'm watching you, child. <laughs> you can't get away with things that easily. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. Yep, the little goofballs. <sighs> Well, it's a little bit of something lighthearted to get us started off here. <laughs> Let me bring the mood back down. Yep. <laughs> like the true supervillain I am. We still love you. <laughs> Alright. Here come the trigger warnings. While we understand that some individuals listen for the entertainment aspect of true crime, it's important to remember that these are real people with families and friends who may still be suffering from their loss. These stories are not meant to open old wounds or cause further emotional damage to those involved. We remind you to please be respectful, do not dox, or contact those involved with cases. While paranormal occurrences and urban legends may be sources of tourism, please be considerate if you visit one of these locations. Do not engage in trespassing and be sure to ask for permission if you plan on recording. Be aware of your surroundings and travel safely. The cases discussed in this podcast may be disturbing to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. In this episode, we will be discussing cases involving more than one of the following. Children, sexual assault, domestic violence, and suicide. As always, listener discretion is advised. 
If you or someone you know has a child who has been victimized, please call the proper authorities and look at missingkids.org or call the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children's hotline at 800-843-5678 for more helpful resources. If you or someone you know has been a victim of sexual assault, please reach out to the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 800-656-4673. If you or someone you know has been a victim of domestic violence, please reach out to the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 800-799-7233. And if you or someone you know is experiencing suicidal thoughts or ideation, please reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. Now, back to the show. All right. Unfortunately, I don't have any vocab lessons from Katie today. Oh, I know. No it's a sad day. Katie. <laughs> I don't have any vocab lessons from Katie. I'm sorry. It's a sad day. I do have a part two of my episode, though. Yeah. Excited <laughs> for that. Yep. Oh, yep. you cut out there a little bit. Oh. <laughs> Darn internet and technology. <sighs> but no, if you listeners, just in case you don't remember from a week ago, this is a pretty dark one. It's going to be the continuation of last week. So if you skipped last week probably want to skip this one or skip katie's section i should say of this one again today uh or maybe if you're in a, a better headspace than you were last week feel free to go back and listen to last week's episode get caught up and then come right back here we'll be waiting for you and ready to go on with part two uh but yeah uh the trigger warnings right there for a reason so if you're not in that that mind state today that you feel like you can handle a a darker darker episode then I would skip ahead to the paranormal side of things in a short bit. Yep. And just as a recap, like I got most of the information on episode four and this episode from the documentary, um, the price of honor. And that is an excellent little documentary that they put together. And it really demonstrates what was kind of going on in the family dynamic and those that were like, personally involved in this case. Um, I highly suggest going and checking that documentary out. It's by Najad and Pamos. I think I pronounced those correctly this time. Um, there's also a little bit from the Investigation Discovery show, Forbidden, Dying for Love, and it is the episode The Shame of the Father, and it's written by Hewland Harry in 2016. So... All right. I hope you're all prepared. Settle in, get cozy, get a, a nice warm or cold drink of choice. Mm-hmm. Get ready. <laughs> Some chocolate, probably. Yep, chocolate's a good idea. I got my chocolate right here within reach. It's ready to go. Yep. All right. So we are continuing with the murder of Amina and Sarah Saeed. So when we left off last week, Yasser had just discovered a love letter to Joseph from Amina. 
As a result of finding this letter, Yasser became very angry with Amina, who lied, saying that she had made up this fictional character and that it was just this ideological, in a perfect world romance where she could actually date who she wanted. But ultimately, the person was completely made up. However, shortly after this incident, Amina stopped showing up to karate practice and Yasser moved the whole family away from Texas. Joseph and Ruth became very fearful as Amina had given indication that if Yasser ever found out about the two's relationship, he would hurt, kill her, or send her and Sarah to Egypt. In a short time after these events, Amina finally made contact with the karate uh, instructor and told him that a majority of what had happened via an email. In this email, Amina stated that Yasser had purchased a home in Louisville, Texas and moved the family there within two days and that she hated it there. Amina also requested that the instructor give Joseph a message and the message was very sweet and I did quote it. It is, I heart Jojo. Aww. And I pray that we'll be together again. After receiving this email, the karate instructor contacted Joseph's parents, asking what they should do regarding the information provided in this email. Ruth was absolutely thrilled to know that Amina was safe, alive, and still in the United States. However, she did not tell Joseph about the letter or that she had contacted them for his and Amina's safety. She then proceeded to quickly email Amina back. Amina told Ruth that Yasser wanted Joseph's information regarding his location and any other way that he can get in contact with him as he wanted to go after him, saying oh that Yasser wanted to kill Joseph. That's really scary. I can't imagine what Ruth, the mother felt when she read that that's terrifying yeah i'd be absolutely horrified if somebody that i already knew had like a violent streak and had been doing some horrifying things to his family like let alone what would he do to somebody that he does not personally know yeah for sure yeah Amina comforts Ruth, telling her that she said nothing regarding Joseph, denying any claims that um, Yasser has of this person being real. She's still following in that story that Joseph isn't a real person, and she won't give any information regarding an address or how to get in contact with Joseph. Amina then confides in Ruth that as a result of this, Yasser is beating her and at one point he beat her to the point where you could not tell her braces apart from her lips in addition to kicking her in the stomach and other parts of her face. Patricia, Amina's mother, states that Amina did not have braces and the two were not fighting, that Yasser was not abusive towards the kids, that it was just Patricia herself that Yasser was abusing and stating, and I quote, he was a good dad and loved his kids. 
Ugh. Yeah, oh. that that was my response too. I think I kind of yelled at the TV and like going back to that cycle of violence, like obviously she is a victim as well. Oh, definitely, yeah. But I was so mad. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't I'm not in her position, so I'm not one to like talk badly about her, but I was so mad. Yeah, I'm sure there was a lot of denial going on since she was obviously in a very dangerous part excuse me a very dangerous situation for herself and for her daughters uh, Mm -hmm. to remain in that situation i'm sure it was very difficult to emotionally process that and find a way to live with that and so i'm sure one of the i would imagine one of the only ways to live with that is to convince yourself that your daughters are safe even if they Perhaps or not, which, based on the previous accounts that you discussed from the last episode, I do not believe it sounds like uh, what Patricia is saying there to be true. But, like you said, I definitely don't blame her for it, though, in terms of what she's saying. Because when a person's in a situation like that, there is only so much they can do to just survive that and... Just keep living. So, yeah, I definitely will not speak poorly of what she said in that regard, but I just feel so bad for those poor girls and what they were going through. Yep, absolutely. And that's kind of where I sit, too. Um, However, continuing on, (laughs) um, (laughs) Amina did disclose in the email that her and Patricia did try to go to the hospital. Although upon heading to the hospital, Patricia had received a call from Yasin, Yasser's brother, who said that they shouldn't go to the hospital as Yasser could go to jail as a result, which resulted in Amina being returned back home without medical treatment. Shortly after, Amina and Sarah were taken to Egypt against their will. To which Amina was absolutely terrified and conveyed in emails to Ruth that Yasser was going to leave them. And she even had a chance at an internet cafe to launch another email stating that Yasser had taken both of their American passports upon entering Egypt. Oh my gosh. Communication went quiet for some time after this email. And upon their return, Amina reached out to Ruth, letting her know that she had made it back to the United States safely. Some of the emails sent between Ruth and Amina focused more on Joseph and Amina's love for him, along with her ultimate concern for his safety. Amina would beg Ruth to let him write to her, and after some time, Ruth provided Joseph with Amina's information so he could contact her. Joseph notes how everything felt very real between the two and that they weren't giving up on each other, going on to say that everything we had was worth fighting for, and for her, it was worth dying for. Amina, over time, began to grow more and more desperate in the situation she was in and fell into a depression, and at one point she did try to commit suicide. She was taken to the hospital where there were counselors and people that could help her, However, she was afraid that with being a minor, anything she would say to these counselors, it would be reported back to her parents and it would become 
a nightmare at home. I'm not entirely sure how counselors work as far as that aspect goes. I think there's still that confidentiality of patients, especially like with high intense circumstances of minors to adults. So I'm not entirely sure if that was just the belief that was ground into her by Yasser or if it was something that she felt wasn't available to her due to prior experiences per se. So we're going to break down the next couple areas in a day-by-day event style similar to my first case. So a couple days before Christmas, Yasser had made the ultimate threat to Amina that he would kill her for dating an American boy. Patricia, as a response to this threat, contacted the family, letting them know that she was afraid for Amina and Sarah's safety and was planning to leave. On December 25th, 2007, Christmas morning, Amina notifies Joseph that they are on the move to get away from Yasser, but they will not say where they're going. On December 26th, 2007, Patricia, Amina, and her friend Eddie, as well as Sarah and her boyfriend Eric, ran away from Louisville, Texas, to Wichita, Kansas, where Jill lives. The original plan had been for the girls to run away with their boyfriends. However, Patricia noted that she couldn't let that happen, and she too wanted to get away from Yasser. This obviously made individuals involved trying to help Amina and Sarah concerned due to Patricia's previous repeated attempts to leave Yasser, ending with her returning, so that honeymoon phase coming back in from that Mm -hmm. cycle of violence. However, they made it to Wichita, and as a result of the girls leaving, Yasser and Ism both filed missing persons reports on the girls, to which officers contacted Patricia to make sure that everything was okay and that the girls were fine, to which Patricia told officers that she would call them in the next day or two. In the evening, the group was getting ready to sit down to dinner at Jill's residence when she noted that she didn't have enough chips for the salsa that they were going to have with their Mexican food that night, and Patricia offered to retrieve the item from the store, to which she took all the kids with her, not leaving a single one there and not allowing a single one to stay there. Upon returning, she addressed Jill that they would not be staying and instead were going to go on to Tulsa, Oklahoma. On December 27th, 2007, the group stayed in a hotel while looking for a rental in Tulsa, during which they got new phones with a smaller carrier to avoid being tracked by Yasser. Um, Patricia then notified the police that she had taken the girls and was not intending on coming back out of fear for their safety. On December 28th, 2007, Patricia signed a lease to an apartment under an assumed name to ensure Yasser could not trace them, and the group moved in right away. Connie talked to Ism, who, as she noted, was upset and was trying to get his mom and sisters just to come home because he missed them. Yasser got on the phone with Connie during this conversation with Ism and stated how he missed Patricia and the girls and just wanted them to come home. Connie then proceeds to contact Patricia after the phone call with Ism and Yasser, letting her know what was said and how she believed it to be a trick to get the girls back home, to which Patricia states that she had no plans of going back at that time. On December 29th, 2007, Eddie had to return to Texas due to a prior engagement as a DJ. 
Patricia decides to call and check her messages on her previous number and heard all the messages from Yasser and Yasin telling them to go back home and that it was their house. Amina contacted Joseph at this time with concerns that Patricia was having second thoughts and her mom was going to go back home to her father. That Patricia had felt guilty for abandoning her husband and Patricia continued talking with Yasin who stated that if she didn't want to see Yasser there, he could remove him from the house. After that, according to Patricia, Sarah, Amina, and herself all talked to Yasser and agreed on going back to Texas. However, Eric, Sarah's boyfriend, recalls that Amina and never knew Sarah and Patricia were going to see Yasser and that he didn't know Sarah had spoken to Yasser while the group was in Tulsa. According to Connie, Sarah agreed to go back to keep problems down in the household and Amina was never told about going back to the household. Then according to Jill, both girls had reported that they hated their father and never wanted to go back home. So there's a lot of different situations going on between stories. Like it doesn't seem like there's one specific one other than Amina doesn't want to go home and then maybe Sarah did, but not entirely. On December 30th, 2007, Amina was told that they were returning to drop off Eddie and put flowers on Patricia's mom's grave for her birthday. And they were going to stay for the new year. That they would be staying with Connie, who never knew that they were returning to Texas in the first place. However, upon arriving in Texas, Amina is informed that they are returning to their home with Yasser. To which... Amina retorts saying that she's not going back home and goes home with Eddie instead, where she stays the night. On December 31st, 2007, Patricia informs Amina that she does not intend to return to Tulsa. This sends Amina into hysterics and she calls Connie to let her know that Patricia had returned to Yasser. Amina was absolutely horrified. Her worst nightmare had just come true. Knowing that Patricia would tell Yasser everything about her, Joseph, what happened in Tulsa, and how the girls felt about him now. Joseph and Amina message back and forth on how they need to leave as soon as possible and begin to kind of make plans to follow through on that. However, there's really no push as of the 31st. On January 1st, 2008, Patricia begs Amina to come home, calling and texting her repeatedly. Patricia says that Amina called her to pick her up to collect her school things. However, according to Jill, Amina was horrified that her dad was going to kill her if she returned to the house. And Joseph had told her multiple times it was a horrible idea to go back or to trust her mom at this point. To which Amina responded with that she had to do what she had to do and that she loved him. Patricia then goes over to Eddie's, where Amina is staying and convinces her to go back home. Yasser said that he wanted to take Amina and Sarah out to dinner and talk with them. Once the girls were in the vehicle, Yasser drove to Irving, Texas, where he shot both of the girls. Amina died instantly while Sarah was able to make a 911 call. Now... 911 calls are typically public record, however, due to many people disliking them, I'm going to pause our recording right here and I'm only going to play it for Rhiannon. 
If you would like to listen, please pause here and navigate to our resource page where I will link it in the episode notes. All right. I just played the 911 clip for Re. What are your thoughts? Yeah, that's definitely intense. Um, I don't know what to say. I mean, she didn't really even have enough time to give the information necessary to even have an attempted rescue, though it does sound like even if they're, they could get a cop out there, I don't think he would have arrived in time. Or EMS. I don't. There wasn't enough time. Nope. The taxi cab that Yasser had been driving for work was found in the back of a hotel parking lot in Irving, Texas, with the body of, bodies of the two girls inside. Investigators found that the girls had been shot a total of 11 times. Wow. Yeah. And, like... The second part of that 911 call, which, once again, it'll be linked in the notes on our references page, like, is the discovery of the remains, unfortunately. With the 911 call that Sarah made, it identified Yasser as being the killer. So that cut down a lot of suspects on investigators' radar. Um, As well as the home video recordings that Yasser had made and the phone calls that were documented to be made before and after the girls' deaths from Yasser. Authorities began their manhunt for Yasser Abdel Saeed, who had vanished without a trace. Yasser quickly made it onto the FBI's most wanted list in 2008. And Ism stated in an interview with Fox a few days following the incident that, I just hope he turns himself in because, you know, He messed up the whole family. However, Yasser would not turn himself into authorities. On December 14th, 2020, a maintenance man at an apartment in Bedford, Texas, spotted Yasser and reported him to the FBI. Then, on August 23rd, 2020, Yasser Abdel Saeed was arrested and charged with capital murder for both of his daughters. The FBI also found that Ism and Yassin had been concealing Yasser's whereabouts for a majority of the time Yasser was on the run, including delivering groceries and removing trash from the home to a secondary location to be dumped. Both were arrested on charges of one of conspiracy to conceal, a person from arrest, one count of concealing a person from arrest, and one count of conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding. In response to Yasser's arrest, Patricia made the statement to the media that now the girls can rest in peace. Yasser was on the run for so long, and it's so hard to wrap my brain around it. I am very happy now. It is the happiest moment. He is caught and justice can be served for Sarah and Amina. And that's the case of Amina and Sarah Saeed. I feel like I have a lot of mixed emotions. Like it's, yeah, it's so sad, but at the same time I'm almost angry because I feel like 
they could have gotten away. They could have survived if things had gone differently. Yeah, there were a lot of steps in here that could have drastically changed how this came out. Yeah. And ultimately, like, just getting that help or even, like, having other family members step in and just be like, hey, we're going to take the girls for right now. If you need to go back, like, good for you, but we're keeping the girls here for the time being just to make sure that they're safe. Oh, yeah, and I think that's probably what upsets me most about the case is that... Obviously, I mean, I'm upset, too, about what happened to Patricia, but at the end of the day, it's like, if you, you gotta do what you gotta do. If you have to go back into that again, if you're not done with it yet, and are still working your, your situation out and trying to find peace and break away from it, you do you, for lack of better words, but don't drag the girls back into it, especially yeah. if you... No, they're not interested in getting dragged back into it. And like I said, it, it's hard to get angry with Patricia just because when you're in a domestic violence situation, especially something like that, I imagine where she's been with them, it sounds like for quite a while, like years and years and years, and started dating him and being with him when she was young herself, very young herself, that I feel like it's all she's ever known almost as as in her whole adult life basically has been spent with Yasser and going into that, even part of her childhood was spent with Yasser. So I feel like I, you can't blame Patricia for this. You can't, in no circumstances domestic violence can you ever blame the, the victim for going back. Cause like, yeah, like you said, with the whole cycle of violence and, other parts of domestic violence, I mean, it's a very difficult thing to break away from, not only from the emotional side of things, but also from that aspect that if you break away from it, that could be what ends up killing you. That's the time when they might come after you, you know, so there's that fear aspect as well. So she definitely can't be blamed, I feel like, for her actions, but it, like I said, it definitely is very upsetting, especially upsetting, I should say, that the girls were pulled back into it, especially when Amina seems to have made it very clear that she was not interested in stepping back into the situation. I feel like it was very deceitful the way they pulled her back in. Of course, we don't know the entire story, but... Absolutely. Yeah. No, I completely agree with that. Like, I can't blame Patricia for her her actions and how she was coping with an extremely abusive situation. However, like you said, don't drag the girls back into it like if they both have stated that they want no part of this and like they want to be away don't keep bringing them back in like you have family members that are more than willing to help with keeping these two safe and ultimately like you could probably leave them there and they just be perfectly fine yeah so i think that's a really tough one since it is encompassing multiple victims and multiple different issues of different kinds of attacks on their personhood and yeah it's just a very hard one to process I feel like with everything that happened and like you said how things could have gone so differently at so many different points potentially if mm -hmm. things had been handled slightly differently 
um, that these girls might still be alive today and might have been able to escape and live their lives out and I'm sure it wouldn't have been easy. I'm sure they'd be living with all sorts of trauma and post-traumatic stress disorder to deal with and live the rest of their lives with, but they still could have lived, I would imagine, a happy life once they were able to get away from all that. Yeah, and if I recall correctly, like, there were times when Amina and Joseph would much, like, message back and forth regarding, like, future plans to run away and um, elope and just kind of, like, live their own life. And Joseph's family was very supportive in helping the two to do that and making sure that they wanted for nothing, basically, when they did decide to go ahead and go through with it. Sorry about that listeners you might have heard my dogs barking and howling in the background there i tried to i think i heard her i'm like oh we have puppies yes puppies decided to join in i don't mind little interruptions but i could tell they were gonna go for quite a while so i had to (laughs) mute it for a second there oh no yeah um yeah it's it's really something Yep, and it's it's not like these types of cases are few and far between. Like, this does happen. And like I said in last week's episode, there's a case that just recently occurred. And they're very brutal, to say the least. Yeah, and it, I think it's especially horrifying the... Not just the end, I mean, the end was definitely horrifying, but even the lead up to it of just what those girls went through throughout their lives, and I can't even imagine what Patricia went through before those girls were grown, when she was with him pregnant, and even when they were young, I'm sure she suffered all kinds of abuse in addition to what the girls suffered. So, the whole situation is just terrifying, and I can't imagine to grow up in an environment like that your whole life be like that I I mean Patricia spent most of her life it sounds like at least leading up to the end of their most of her life with Yasser I mean she had a few years as growing up as a kid but then in her teen years and on she was pretty much with Yasser but for the girls I mean that was their entire life that was their father and that's who they they grew up with in the home and grew up around that violence all the time it sounds like and then also experienced violence themselves from their father so and even going as far as to like the violence does continue and it didn't necessarily Mm -hmm. continue with the girls but like per se ism for instance oh yeah was aiding and abetting his father Mm -hmm. and i know like i said i've definitely heard of the cycle of violence before in other cases and i've definitely heard of cases where someone who grows up within a home where there's a lot of violence occurring um, ends up developing some seriously some serious mental health issues whether that's PTSD or some other different mental health issues and and that's not an excuse to enact violence mental health is never an excuse for that kind of thing but they end up in pretty bad situations and then as adults sometimes may enact violence themselves or on the flip side i've also heard cases where especially 
with women maybe instead of enacting violence they may end up be more likely ending up in a domestic violence kind of situation because they grew up with that that's what they know so they don't see the red flags and the warning signs and they don't see what's wrong with it because they saw that's what their mother experienced so it feels normal to them mm-hmm. so i mean there's a, a few different ways that can that cycle can go on whether it's the children if they survive um becoming violent themselves as an adult or if it's them just being more okay with violence basically because they've grown up around it so much it just seems normal now but that cycle i feel like can be really destructive to so many lives not just to the victims but just that it involves so many more people and even in this case there are so many different people involved from joseph and his mother and i mean amina even reaching out to the martial arts instructor and whatnot there's so many people that were touched by their lives and i can't imagine how far their the loss of these two girls extended when this horrible thing happened yeah and i know joseph talks a little bit on his side of things of i mean it made him promise not to do anything to himself or hurt himself if anything were to happen to her and he still lives to this day it's that's battle between your mental health and just wanting to stay here and fill out their their wishes for you to live mm-hmm. and it's something that's going to haunt him for the rest of his life oh yeah and that's the thing too is joseph wasn't living in this home but by being involved in falling in love with amina which is not his fault by any means you know and young people should be allowed to experience love and it's very unfortunate the way this worked out and i feel so bad for him as well to like you said to have to live on with this burden and and like you said try to carry out her wishes knowing that she didn't want him to suffer if anything were to happen to her but now that he has to keep living life with this hanging over him for the rest of his life i can't imagine that either all right well the seriousness has ended (laughs) i don't have many statistics as this is kind of an interesting case if i do find some i will make sure to chime in on the next episode and we can kind of discuss what types of statistics are out here regarding this but these cases do happen they're important to talk about and it's important to understand what somebody might be going through just because of their norms constructed by their families. I did have one question that I thought of. Um, I thought it was interesting when the missing file, missing persons report was filed with the police that Patricia then communicated with the police that she had the girls, they were fine. But for safety reasons, they were not coming back. I was. Do you know anything about how that works? Because I, I of course, I don't want to tell Yasser that they're fine. So do they yeah. just leave it open as there is still a missing persons case technically to the public, but the police know on the inside that they are okay. We just can't announce that publicly, or else Yasser will find out. It 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 depends depends on your department. Um, what I presume is that basically nothing was kind of said as far as like to Yasser regarding that, that they were fine. Um, and like, even when Connie was contacted by ISM and they decided to kind of like bombard her, like she didn't say anything about their location, where they were at. 
But I believe as far as when the police were trying to find them and Patricia initially stated like she's worried for their safety, they basically went, oh, okay, we're in a weird situation here. And it's either we can get involved or they're fine, they're safe now, we won't, we'll let the people know that they're okay and be done with it. Just depends on the whole scenario and how they wanted to handle it. Um, I know in certain other cases, sometimes police become more involved when it is children and it is one distinct parent that decides to take off with them. They can send out Amber alerts and such for them to like get them back and actually question, but at least Patricia was willing to actually reach out and contact police officers regarding the situation. It wasn't one of those ones where it's like, per se, mom took off with the kids. We can't get a hold of mom. It's been such and such time. We've given her an opportunity to get back to us. We're, it, it's Amber, it's Amber alert time. Go after him. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Um, because obviously I get the Amber alerts on my phone. Like everybody else. But yeah, that's what I was kind of curious about was that interplay of what would the police do in a weird situation like that of okay we have this missing persons case are open and we have a situation of like you said mom's gone with kids which uh under most circumstances as far as i know they would normally issue an amber amber alert and go after them but Mm -hmm. under these specific circumstances of course they're trying to preserve their safety and if it's made known bringing them back is actually going against their safety like how would they handle that so that's Definitely interesting and seems like something that needs to be a case-by-case basis, I suppose. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for answering that. Um, I hope that was the correct answer. That's just, that's to my (laughs) knowledge on how that would kind of work. Like I said, it totally depends. (laughs) You definitely have more expertise than I do on the matter, (laughs) so I'll take your answer over my guess. (laughs) Because, yeah, that was the question that came up to me, too, and I wish I would have, like, looked a little bit more into it. But for the most part, like, what I do know is just, like, if it's, like, these girls are endangered by the person that they're with, it's more of a, we need to go get them. Yeah, for sure. Which, that didn't seem the case at the time, so I... I'm presuming they kind of just said to Yasser that they're fine. Go home. Yeah, I guess that's true. They could always tell them like they're okay. Now stop bothering them. They don't mm-hmm. have to disclose the location or contact information. And that way he knows they're alive, but doesn't know where they are. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. All right. It's your turn. <laughs> Woo. Let's lift the mood. <laughs> All right. Well, ready to move on to some more, mostly more lighthearted paranormal discussion? Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that was the right yeah to use. Yeah! I'm ready. (laughs) I'm ready. I've been in the dark for like three days straight, so I'm happy to get out of it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's do it. So, today we're going to talk about Yonker Farm, located in Fargo, North Dakota. I was going to say, I'm like, that sounds like something that would be like North Dakota or like Wisconsin Fargo. <laughs> yep. <laughs> exactly. That's for sure. Yep. So, it, when it was open, it used to be an interactive children's museum 
However, last year it did permanently close due to COVID. Oh. Yeah, I was sad too. I was like, this looks like a really cool museum. This is awesome. And then I got to the spot where it says it wasn't open anymore and that bummed me out. The past director did say that they were on an extremely tight budget and that the boiler was in need of repairs that would have cost tens of thousands of dollars. So it sounds like they were already in a not so great position financially and COVID just did them in. Mm-hmm. <sighs> As is the story of too many businesses recently. Unfortunately, Super sad about yeah. that, but... In any case, thought it would still be fun to cover the the story of Yonker Farm, its history, and its paranormal reports, so that it will live on in people's memories, even those of us that did not get a chance to visit it while it was open. <clears throat> Alright, so Yonker Farm, the building was reported to be the first brick house built in Dakota Territory, Although the James Holes house dates from about the same time, so there is some speculation on that. It was a red brick farmhouse built in 1876 by Newton Whitman. The downstairs had a parlor, dining room, and one bedroom. And upstairs there were four bedrooms and a three-quarters attic. Okay. At some point in its history, it also had a two-story addition attached with a sun deck. So sounds like a pleasant little farm sort of building. Uh, Whitman and his wife raised eight children there and built a schoolhouse on the property. They primarily raised livestock and grew grain. And from my own research, I was really curious because all the sources gave uh, Whitman's name, but none of them mentioned his wife's name. (laughs) And I just wanted her name. So I tried to dig around for it. I found a record of a Newton W. Whitman in one of the like ancestry websites that discusses their date of birth, date of death, all that, um, who married a Mary Swift Whitman. And there was records of them being in Fargo. He was born in 1828 to 1899, so it sounded like about the right time period for when this was happening. So I'm pretty sure it's him, <laughs> but can't guarantee it. But in any case, I just wanted to know what was his wife's name, and I'm pretty sure it was Mary. So okay. in 1905, they sold the property to a John and Elizabeth Yunker. This is where it got its name, Yunker Farms. And the Yunkers raised 10 children on the property. However, in 1929, John Yunker passed away. From then on, Elizabeth raised turkeys for a living after the death of her husband, and eventually her son Lawrence took over the farm until he ended up retiring. At which point, there's some confusion on my end of whether he sold it and then it was donated, or if he just he was the one who donated it. I found a lot of records saying around that time, um, 1968 to be exact, the property was donated. However, I also found a source saying he sold it, so I'm not sure if it was sold and then donated in the same year or just donated, but he was the last owner of it before it was donated. And it was donated to the Fargo Park District. So the property, I didn't find any records of what it was used for over the next decade or so, uh, but it it either sat vacant or maybe they were using it for something else, but it wasn't until about 1985 that the idea came about to renovate it and have it become a children's museum. 
So local businesses in the area funded it, and then volunteers carried out the renovations, which took about four years until the Yunker Farm Children's Museum opened in November of 1989. And it's been an operation, like I said, until last year when it closed in 2021. Now, as far as the paranormal reports, I will say up front that no organized investigations were allowed inside of the building while it was open as a children's museum because they did not want to get the reputation that would scare away children, <laughs> which I can, I can see that. I, I don't think most kids would want to go to a haunted building. <laughs> yeah, yeah, most kids most definitely do not, except if you're like in my family that we would beg... <laughs> Mom to take us to the Stanley Hotel, and before my Nana passed, me and her, like, discussed, like, staying there. Unfortunately, that never came true, because she did pass before anything could happen, but I still want to go. I want to stay in a room in the Stanley Hotel. <laughs> I do, too. <laughs> Maybe that'll be a little adventure for us one of yes. these days, <laughs> that we can report on it. <laughs> no. Just sit in our hotel room with our pizza. TV's going in the background. We're just like, we're camping. (laughs) (laughs) We're waiting for some ghostly things to happen. (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, man. In any case. (laughs) So as far as what's been reported in the Yunker Farm, uh, as far as paranormal goes, there's the odd noises and feelings of being watched, which is common to a lot of paranormal reports. Uh, more specifically, though, there was reports of lights flickering on and off, and the elevator moves on its own. And I did find, uh, just a side note, I found this interesting. Uh, the architectural records did state that the elevator tower was added as part of the museum renovations. Uh, so it was not original to the building, which, considering how old the building is, <laughs> makes sense. Uh, but that is a new addition that was not part of the original foundation, but it still is being interacted with by the presumed ghosts. In addition to the elevator moving, windows have been known to open and close on their own. And that's the extent of what should be inanimate objects moving around. Now we can get into some more spectral encounters. So there was known to be a female ghost that uh, resided upstairs. It was said that the staff named the female ghost Vanessa, but many people felt it was the ghost of Mrs. Elizabeth Yunker. Um, and it is believed that she would haunt the upstairs because that part of the museum was intended for younger visitors. And since she had so many children, it was believed she would love children and thus would enjoy being in that area where a lot of the very young children tend to hang out. And staff members also reported a feeling of a friendly female presence in this area when closing. So it wasn't necessarily that they always saw her, but they often felt her. Now, in addition to Mrs. Yunker, it was also... Well, there's some speculation, I should say, which I'll get into a little bit more later. But there is a story of a potential ghost living on the outside part of the property. There is an old well on the property, and there was a belief that perhaps the ghost of a young child uh, would be spotted near that well. It was believed that the property could have been the site of a young girl drowning to death, which would be the reason this uh, ghost haunts the well. And according to a Young Ghost Hunters blog, there have been sightings of this girl who is around five to six years of age and wears a white dress near the well. 
they uh and when i say they it is uh three 13 year old boys so please keep that in mind as i present the following information uh but they try to do a paranormal investigation some ghost hunting in august of 2011 it does not appear that they went inside the building from what I could tell reading through his post. It sounds like they were mainly investigating the outdoor portion of the property. He reported that he experienced difficulty breathing near the well and believed this may have been a connection with the girl and how she died and that he saw a girl standing a few yards behind his friends and that described her as having white eyes and that she disappeared behind a tree when he chased after her. He did supposedly uh take video footage of the event and uh, however when he reviewed it later he it appeared he had only recorded a seven second video even though he when he, he was in the process of recording it said it had shown it had been recording for the entire hour that they were investigating but when he went back and reviewed it it had only kept seven seconds of the video and he also stated that the following morning, the video entirely disappeared, so he didn't even have the seven seconds left. Mm, that's oddly <laughs> convenient. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh. <laughs> so, um, like I said, I'd get a little bit more into this particular story. Some other... Don't mind the little wolves in the background. That's just my cute little guard dog, Kai, letting everybody know he's here. <laughs> <laughs> um, as I was saying, there's some speculation of if this young female ghost is actually there or if she's more of an urban legend kind of situation. I dug through a lot of different sources and it seems like all of them, if they mentioned the female, or I should say the young girl, if they mentioned the young girl's ghost at all, they referenced this uh 13-year-old boy's blog post. So as far as I can tell, all of it rooted back to his blog post. And that's not to say there isn't a young girl ghost. There totally could be. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's just uh the locals know about it and it just hasn't been reported on a whole lot in online sources. Like totally possible. Yeah. I'm just wanna throw out there that I couldn't <laughs> verify the information <laughs> beyond this single source. Um I did also try to dig up some historical records to see if I could find a record of a girl drowning in that well uh, to try to put some historical evidence to it. And I didn't find anything, though. I mean, we are this building has been here since the late 1800s. It's been a long time, so I wouldn't be surprised if there was something that happened and I just did not find it just going through websites online. It, that was more the kind of thing that... If I uh, was doing this full-time and traveling to all these locations, I probably would prefer to try to f dig up some old paper records in the town of Fargo. They might have had a paper record on a girl drowning there, but as far as like what I could dig up online, couldn't find a record, but again, that doesn't mean it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. uh, what I did find um, is the that previous record I mentioned of Whitman. It, it showed that he had at least nine children, which other records said he had eight. However, it also stated he married a second time after his wife died in Fargo in 1888. He ended up marrying when he moved to California shortly after. And so it's very possible that ninth child resulted from the second marriage. So I still believe it, that's the same individual that I was researching. However, what I mainly wanted to see look, digging into that was... Is there a record of any of those children being female and passing away on the property? 
There is no records of the ch of the females dying young. I mainly, uh, <laughs> at least, gathered that information by all the female children were listed as having their names changed in marriage. So I just presumed that meant they at least made it to close to adulthood or adulthood and married and likely did not die as a young girl on the property. So yeah. if there was a young girl who passed away in that well, it does not appear that it was one of Whitman's daughters, but it could have been... Um, perhaps one of the Yunkers' children. I tried to dig up some records on them, and I really struggled to. Or maybe it could have happened from before uh, that building was placed. I don't know how old the well was, if it was on the property previous to the building being built, or if that was something that came about after the property was built. Um, but again, still open to speculation. Totally could have happened. Alright, um, and I did want to bring up too that there is a belief that ghosts are attracted to water since it's a good conductor of energy. And to back that up, I did find an article briefly detailing that uh, by Susan Bove. Or excuse me, the article is not by Susan Bove. Uh, but Susan Bove is the one who stated that, and she is one of the founders of the South Jersey Paranormal Research Group, just to back that up a little bit. Uh, so again, all that that I just went into about the ghost of the young girl, I'm not trying to say that that experience that the 13-year-old boy had was not real. As I stated in our very first episode, um, if you have an experience, like oh, that's... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Like, that's yours I, and your own. I was yeah, just like, that is your thing. And I <laughs> didn't mean to like, make it you. seem that way. It was just oddly... Oh, no, no. that the whole video deleted. <laughs> no, I wasn't like, trying huh? to make it sound like that either. <laughs> <laughs> no. no no each experience uh, is your own believe what you want to believe at the end of the day i was just like that that's oddly convenient that the whole video oh, is no. just gone yeah the little vi the video part that part i was a little doubtful about i was like mm -hmm. ah, i can believe you saw the girl and chased her around the video part i don't know how i feel about that yeah but, <laughs> but no i just wanted to throw that out there that in um i'm sure i'll do this a lot in future cases if you do hear me digging in deeper into some of these cases trying to find historical records not finding historical records or speculating on is this an herbal legend or is this a real ghost i'm not trying to um dishonor what that young ghost hunter experienced i'm not trying to take that away from him um i'm just trying to see if i can find any other evidence to provide to you the listener uh to back up this story mm -hmm. and then the last go or potential ghost, I should say, because again, I only got this very last thing I'm going to comment on uh, from one source. So, or excuse me, from two different sources, since it's two different potential ghosts. Uh, but I couldn't find them referenced in any other sources. So again, this is not as highly verified as the ghost of Mrs. Yunker. There is a comment on a blog post from an unknown person <laughs> that says supposedly there was an angry old man that haunted the building and they claimed that he sat upstairs and then also said that he haunted a merry-go-round which i'm not sure if the merry-go-round was part of the museum or if that was just something in town but i did want to bring that up <laughs> on your face no yeah, I don't really want an angry old man coming after me on the merry-go-round either. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. That's, that's a horror movie. <laughs> Ooh, that's Pennywise. Oh, yeah. that's, that's it. Ugh, oh, ah! that. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> oh, and then another blog post referenced a sighting of uh, what was presumed to be the ghost of John Yunker. 
smiling and attending the ground. So he sounds a little bit more friendly. Okay, I'd, yeah. I'd be cool with John. I'd He's hang cool, out with John. But... John sounds like a cool guy. <laughs> yeah. Mr. and Mrs. Yonker, they're cool, but no angry old man, please. <laughs> like, I just got this, like, mental image, and I don't know why Pennywise comes to mind, but he's just, like, riding on one of the carousel things, like, uh. just off, like, your peripheral to where you, like, you could see them coming and see their face for just a split second, then they're gone. Uh. I'm just like, nope, absolutely not. Mm-mm. <laughs> Oh, man. (sighs) But uh, I did want to go into, while we're on the topic of, or near the topic of the young girl ghost and the young ghost hunters, there was some comments on the young ghost hunters blog, just from other people giving him some advice that I think was much appreciated, but also warning him, like, hey, be careful, don't trespass, make sure you get permission before recording and and doing all these things since he had mentioned in the post he was considering uh, also trying to do an investigation of the inside of the building, which as I stated previously, the owners had made it clear they did not want any investigations going on inside the building. So I did want to go off on a little bit of a tangent really quick um, and just say that's one of the reasons why I did throw in that little snippet at the beginning of our episode starting... I think it was episode three or four we started throwing that in there about if you are going to go investigate and poke around like totally get out there you do you have fun but at the end of the day please do not trespass and please get permission if you're going to be recording especially if it's in a business or somebody else's property that's not your own be respectful please and be safe uh there has been uh, i'll probably actually go into one some point down the road one that I read about, but there has been accounts of people getting injured or even dying um, in accidents while in doing paranormal investigations, amateur investigators going out to places that weren't safe and getting into really serious accidents. So I'm not only saying this in terms of <laughs> not getting into legal issues, but also in terms of I don't want anybody getting hurt either or heaven forbid uh, dying in an accident while out looking for the paranormal. But I did want to briefly bring that up, that these kids sound like they were running around recording things and doing whatever, which, honestly, that's kind of what kids do. (laughs) Uh, Not excusing the behavior, but just saying uh, a lot of kids probably run around recording things anyways. But uh, if you are going to go out and, and do any sort of ghost hunting or investigating, please be respectful and be responsible when you do so. All right. So now that we're through all that, how do you feel about Yonker Farm, Katie, and about our few ghosties I covered, and or if you even want to dive in onto the topic of safe investigating and all that, wh- whatever you want to talk about, <laughs> the floor is yours. The floor is mine? Oh, okay. Let me put my rock down that I'm like sitting here like anxiously rubbing with the mental image of something chasing me on a carousel. <laughs> Um, yes, I'd like to leave you with that mentally. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'd like to bring up that you did that to me with Pinky Pinky, and after I like listened to that episode seven times <laughs> editing it, I just had the mental image of that being just stuck in my head. I'm like, oh, oh. no. <laughs> but anyway, most of the ghosts sound like pretty friendly there, minus Carousel Dude. Um... <laughs> Don't really want to run into him. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> but as far as, like, safe investigating goes, it it even goes, like, as far as, like, 
make sure that if you do go somewhere that is abandoned and like I obviously don't condone going into these places but if you do and you please get permission first um, be safe if there are people there better safe than sorry just leave it's not worth it um, I know that there are some youtubers out there that have definitely ran into some very scary things such as bodies and Ugh. yeah yeah bodies um drug rings um individuals that could possibly even be in the dynamic of serial killers if you do run into anyone get yourself out as quickly and safely as possible if you do go to these places do not go alone um Make sure that somebody knows where you're at. And ultimately, like, if something were to happen, do not let them take you to a secondary location. Um, if you do happen to run into a body, back the way out that you came in, like, step by step to the best of your ability so you do not disturb evidence in the area. Get out to the safe location that you deem, either that be by your car or in your car, and call the police. Because that's a person in there and they deserve to have their name and information given back to them, as well as their families to have closure on that person. So, that's, that's all I gotta say. If you're gonna do this, and you're gonna do it the correct way, hopefully, Please be careful if you go to abandoned places to do any type of paranormal investigation. Once again, be careful. Let somebody know where you're at. Don't go alone. Don't particularly go at night, but it's understandable that when investigating more paranormal aspects, there might be more activity at night. Oh, yeah, and I can add on to that, too. Um... While most of the paranormal cases I'll discuss are probably going to be indoors in a sort of building, I know there's also some cases where there might be areas of land that have paranormal reports, or even urban legends that are outdoors, like Big Bigfoot and things like mm -hmm. that. And if you're going to investigate in the outdoors, uh, maybe not necessarily in a building, same goes for that. Make sure somebody knows where you're going, when you're going to be coming back. Uh, know where you're going, like, have a map, uh, don't rely just on your phone, because especially when you're going out into the backcountry, uh, mm -hmm. you'll lose service, and, I mean, there's a lot of apps will let you keep it open even if you lose service, and I've done that before, where you have your map open, you lose service, you still got it, but then the issue is if your phone crashes or you accidentally close out of it, you can't get it back, so, yeah. quick note there, um, if you're going to be going out in the backcountry to do any investigating, definitely have a backup map, preferably a paper map or a PDF, like download to your phone, something you're not going to lose. But I would always mm -hmm. say if you can print it out, paper's amazing because then if your phone dies, you still got it. But yeah, same yep. goes for backcountry. Also, make sure people know where you are and when you're coming back, be safe. Yep, and absolutely just, you know, rules of zombie land. When in doubt, know your way out. Yep. <laughs> like, that's not just a rule for Zombieland. That should be a rule in every instance. <laughs> yeah. When you are in doubt, you yep. know your way out. Like, where are your exits? How quickly can you get to them? Is your friend going to be right behind you? Are you going to have to leave your friend in this instance? Which I hope you don't. But if it is a life or death scenario, you might have to, unfortunately. <laughs> 
just gonna bring the mood back down again. <laughs> Let me just bring the mood back down. Sorry, Ree. If we go investigating, I hear a noise. You're on your own. Bye. <laughs> Note to self: Don't go investigating with Katie. <laughs> Oh my god. Now I'd probably be like, oh crap, we gotta go. And of course, you know what? The perfect example of this, the perfect example is hearing the rattlesnake while hiking in Sarah's crack. And you're like, oh, there's a snake. I want to go see it. I'm like, it's a freaking rattlesnake ring. Back up. <laughs> Don't touch rattlesnakes. They're not friendly. <laughs> I know we ended up figuring out it wasn't a snake. It was something that sounded like a snake. And it wasn't yeah, it was snake. like the brush like hitting against the rock just right. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I didn't get that close to it. I know you don't poke the rattlesnake and don't get it up in its face, but I wanted to get within view <laughs> of the rattlesnake. <laughs> I'm sitting over there like, oh my god, how am I going to tell Watson she got bit? Oh my god. <laughs> oh, my god. Yeah, luckily, don't have to work. Well, we have rattlesnakes out here, but not really where I work. That's a different part of the state for the most part. But mm -hmm. no, now I've got to worry about cotton mouths. I was going to say, I'm like, you got cotton mouths out there. Now we got the extra fun ones. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure I've probably seen some of those, but I've just kind of gotten glimpses of them swimming away doing snaky things. So I didn't get a good enough look at it to say for sure what it was. But I've also seen some non-venomous snakes out here, and I'm, I'm a fan of the snakes. I like snake snakes, so. <laughs> the only one I've seen out here is the hog nose that, like, dramatically dies. Oh, I love hog <laughs> I love snakes. them, too. <laughs> They're so cute, but also just, like, extra, extra dangerous. They're noodle. very extra, yes. They're not even yeah. dangerous. It's just, it's nah. funny to kind of watch them. It's just like, yeah. what are you doing, bud? I didn't even get close to you. It's over here, like, twisting and contorting. Like, I'm dead. It'll, like, stick its tongue out to the side. I'm like, you good? <laughs> You're kind of close to the pool, buddy. Let me move you. <laughs> For any of you listeners who don't know about hognose snakes, they like to fake a very dramatic death when predators approach so that predators lose interest in them and leave them alone and... We're included in the predator spectrum, so if you ever see one, they'll probably flop around and act dead, but they're fine. Mm -hmm. That's just what they do. But yeah, go off on a little bit of a tangent there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah. No, I just, like I said, I wanted to briefly, or somewhat briefly, go into um, safely and respectfully and responsibly investigating. If any of you choose to do so, please do so properly. Be safe be responsible and be respectful um and like he said you'll never know what you find out there so be prepared yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness oh well, i mean you even brought up in first episode how like most people that are out there like some people are good people however if it's after dark and they're wandering around and they don't have any good reason to be out there that's not that's not good that's not good <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Even at my, um, the field work I, I've been doing more recently where I'm not, eh, I guess you could argue it's a semi-urban setting, but I'm not completely urban. Still usually in the woods, but much closer to the urban setting than I historically was in a lot of my previous field work ventures. But yeah, even here where I'm close to 
civilization, <laughs> we still take the same approach, especially if it's during the nighttime, you know, just keep to yourself. You don't know why people mm-hmm. are out there and what they're doing and play it safe. Rather, would rather be cautious and play it safe than get into a bad situation. So yep. I advise my listeners to, our listeners to do the same if you're ever out looking for some ghosties or other things, aliens, urban legends, cryptids, whatever you fancy. If you're out there looking for them, remember there's other scary things out there too and be careful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You see something that you, you don't know what it is. You, you turn away, you walk away. Don't acknowledge it, hopefully. Unless it starts running at you, then you start running too. Yeah, okay. <laughs> then acknowledge it right away. <laughs> Oh, man. But yeah, just um, with this case, I hope it was a, a little bit of a, a lighter one, a little bit of a mood lightener with Mrs. Yonker, the lover of children who everybody, uh, as as reported, <laughs> loves her too, <laughs> as far as I know. <laughs> and, uh... Creepy carousel, dude. Me freaking out at that. Creepy carousel, dude. Yeah. That's something to leave you with. Creepy carousel, dude. Maybe him and the clicker would get along. Oh, yeah. They sound like they could be close friends. They could be close friends. Creepy carousel, dude, and the clicker. (laughs) Uh, Ghosties we do not want to meet. Mm -hmm. Ghosties we don't want to meet. Oh, God. Oh, God. There's gonna be a yeah. list of them by the end of like oh yeah <laughs> by the end of this I say as though it's like ending soon it's not we're gonna have a huge list <laughs> oh yeah the list is just gonna keep going yep maybe maybe someday maybe someday it'll be on our website the list of ghosties we don't want to meet maybe we'll just have a list of them. <laughs> maybe once we get our patreons going like that'll be a group a list of the ghosts we don't want to meet. <laughs> That'll be a category that you can apply to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, man. Whew. All right. Well. Well, I think this one was a, a bit of a shorter one, but that's not a bad thing. Um, no. Hope you all enjoyed it. Had a Had a good time. Hopefully... We brought you back out of the dark after Katie's section. We just yank you back out. <laughs> yeah, just pull you back out. <laughs> Did you have fun? <laughs> we'll go back again some other time, okay? <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Oh, man. Yeah. All right. Well, I promise next week's episode isn't going to be as dark as this one was, unfortunately. Um, I think I'm going to go with a Innocence Project case. So, cool. that should be fun. Look forward to that. <laughs> yep, and I will also try to choose something that is on the lighter side. I won't go with anything too dark, uh, since I feel like our listeners could use a break after the last two episodes. Yeah. Uh, so we will keep it on the lighter side next week. So do come back. Thank you all for joining us and for listening in today and again be sure to spread the word uh tell others tell your friends share us out on social media follow us on social media if you haven't already we're at haunting cases podcast on every social but twitter. Will, uh, <laughs> on everything but twitter, <laughs> on everything <laughs> but twitter. 
Well, the only reason, like, I can't do it on Twitter is because it has, like, a character limit on usernames, so it can only oh. be Haunting Cases. Otherwise, we're Haunting Cases podcast across everything else. But you can also find those in the resource link down below. It links to our website. You can go to the actual social links. They're right there. You can follow us through them. Yup. But... Anyway, and if you have any suggestions for topics, got any feedback, want to say hi, email us story. at, uh, yeah, got a story. We're up for some stories. Email us at hauntingcasespodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Yep. Yeah.